we'll do 20, chapter 25 from the Guru Charitra, uh, Pride of the Foolish Pandits. This chapter describes how two boastful Brahmins, who so to say were trading with the Vedas, were brought by three Vikram Mahabharati before Guru Nath. This chapter commences the Karmakand section of Sri Guru Charitra. We have met uh, three Vikram Bharati last time when uh, you know he was staying in his village and he was abusing the Guru. Hmm? So in the last chapter we have done that. And so he is given a Vishwarup Darshan by the Guru. Namdharat was rapturously listening to the glorious narration of Guru, Guru's Leelas being narrated by Siddhamuni, the blessed disciple of Guru Nanak. Siddhamuni continued his narrative as under. There was a Muslim Nawab ruling Vidurnagar at that time. He had no respect or tolerance for the Hindu religion. He used to tempt Brahmins to come to the court by offering money and gifts and make them recite the Vedas. <clears throat> recite the Vedas and explain the meanings. Public recital of the Vedas before anybody and everybody and especially before the non-believers who have no reverence is against injunctions. Uh, can you send the invite to Santil? Santil is online. Okay. Santil is online. I think Padma also you can send because Padma will join once the power comes back. So, <laughs> So, Vedic injunctions, what do they say? They say that those who do not believe in the divine should not be spoken to. We are not supposed to talk to people, those who are, those who do not believe in the divine. We have to stay away from these kind of people because it is very, very important that we do not converse about our belief systems. If you converse about our belief systems, they are going to get very angry with you and they will start saying whatever that comes to their mind. So the reason why we have to stay away from such kind of people, those who do not treat us, you know, uh, because because we are the believers and the other people are non-believers. So you should stay out of their reach. So that is the reason why it is said that public recital of the Vedas before anybody and everybody and especially before the non-believers and who have no reverence is against Vedic injunctions. After making them recite and explain, he used to ignore the deeper and the more sublime meaning of the words and drawing perverse and distorted meaning of the Vedic words and hymns, he used to taunt the Brahmins, deride the Hindu religion and gloat over it. So what, what used to happen was he used to deride our scriptures. But most of the Brahmins never used to come forward. However, Majdan Nawab tempted and pressed them. Veda is our mother. It is profound. It is divine. How can any self-respecting person bear the sacred text being taunted by shallow-minded persons? However, there were two Brahmins who came forward to be used as pawns in the hands of the Nawab. No doubt they were very scholarly people. They knew the Vedas by rote, but did not imbibe even a grain of truth, wisdom, true wisdom from the Vedic study. See, some people know the Vedas very well. Some people know all the scriptures, so they have by-hearted it. And they can quote from verse to verse, you know, they can quote the Bhagavad Gita as if from the back of their hand. But such people have, you know, they may have very shallow knowledge about what the subject matter is all about. It is like, you know, like a parrot. Parrot understands who are you, what is your name, my name is this and this. The parrot will say, but the parrot will have no understanding. It's the same with these kind of people. They just keep on reciting the Vedas and the 
scriptures but they will have absolutely no understanding of them so the two brahmin pandits impressed upon the nawab that there was none in the land who had knowledge more than them they said that the nawab should arrange for a debate in the scriptural and the vedic subjects in his court and they should be able to defeat anyone and establish the supremacy and the superiority of their scholarship and knowledge over uh, over all others but none of the pandits agreed but none of the pandits agreed to come to the nawab's court for the contest because the vedic subjects were scared sacred and meant for pathan that uh, pathana that is chanting and contemplation and not for vad that is acrimonious debates you are supposed to just chant them but not do debates on these matters the pandits said that they would go out into the country to seek out contests in different villages and towns if anyone ever dared to contest against them they were confident to defeat him and in case nobody came forward that meant an open acknowledgement by all of the two pandit supremacy and therefore the ruler should recognize it and honor them befittingly the nawab encouraged them in this only with the object of enjoying watching the pandits disputing among themselves acrimoniously so it so happens that those who are the non believers normally want to create fights between two <coughs> believers so they will keep on egging one of them or both of them in such a way that both will fight with each other and then they get the benefit of that you know fight they love to see the fight you will find that normally this is a part and parcel of our material world also where people love to see other people fight so that is what was happening the pandits set out on their challenging campaign puffed up with the pride and patronage and backing of the yavan yavan ruler yavan means a muslim ruler was there they came to kumasi and they were told that tri vikram bharati was the most scholarly pandit in that area and if he were defeated he would establish their unchallengeability when the pandits proposed to tri vikram bharati that he should enter into a contest with them the latter declined saying that it did not make befit him to renunciate or renunciate and a sanyasi to enter into a discussion and debates for winning name and fame the pandit said if he did not want to contest against them he should acknowledge them as unchallengeable and should accept the jayapatra to them accede trivikram bharati saw their conceit and ambition and thought that they should be taught a fitting lesson he took them to sri narsimha saraswati at gangapur as soon as they entered into the presence of gurunath trivikram bharati fell down prostrate at gurunath's feet offering his obeisance the pandits however did not show any respect and they showed off their pride and arrogance sri narsimha saraswati inquired as if he were not aware of what was brought them to him sri vikram bharati narrated about the campaign on which the pandits had set out the pandits demanded that sri narsimha saraswati should enter into a debate with them or should acknowledge their unchallengeability and give them the jayapatra sri narsimha saraswati chided them saying that what benefits would benefit would accrue to them by showing off their intellectual scholarship the knowledge of the vedas and scriptures needs to be imbibed and digested into an integrated vision wisdom into intuitive experience fructifying into a realization of the self the spiritual reality he cited the instance of ravana banasura etc who were all well versed and proficient in the vedic lore but which made them highly conceited and egoistic and what was the result it led them only to total ruin and destruction along with their along with all their clan the vedic knowledge is not for earthly conquest and for winning 
applause from people. The knowledge should be put to use for the conquest of one's senses and egos and to realize the all-pervading divine and the spiritual reality. All the loving, when well-meant advice of Guru Nath fell on deaf ears, it did not change the meaning minds of the Pandit, whose hearts were deeply set on winning worldly acclaim for their scholarship. This ends the 25th chapter of Sri Guru Charitra, describing the vain, glorious and the conceited Pandits. Glory to the all-merciful, the omnipresent and the ever-responsive Guru Nath. Now here in this chapter, there are some very important points that were discussed. I need the fan to put on. See, what is mentioned over here, you should understand. First and foremost, the knowledge of the Vedas. What is the first thing that you need to do? You have to be well-versed and proficient in that knowledge. Most important is, you have to first listen to the scriptures. So, listening to the scriptures is very, very important. Initially, you may not be able to say those scriptures. So, first you need to listen to them. After you listen to them, you can definitely then start reading about them or looking them up. Then what you are supposed to do, you need to imbibe them. They have to be brought inside of you. When they are brought inside of you, you will understand little by little only after you have digested and with and then only the integrated wisdom will appear. What happens is, we just listen to something and we keep on doing that work without actually doing anything about the knowledge that we have received. Let us say for example, now there is a particular method that we have, like say for example, today somebody is making a particular dish at home. You look up in the internet and then you create the dish thinking that that is how it is to be done. It is not going to come out the way you are supposed to. The taste and everything will only depend after you have made it tens of times. Going over it, the recipe from the internet or some such place is just giving you a general idea about what it is. It is not going to tell you the taste of what you are going to eat. So first, everything depends on the taste. So what you need to do? You need to read it. You need to go through the process. You need to experiment with it. After experimentation, you will have to perfect it. Perfection doesn't come from, you know, by doing it one or twice, once or twice. You have to do it many times. Afterwards, you will understand what are the finer nuances of the product that you have. And then you will make your own changes in it. After you have made your changes, then your stamp will be there on that product. Saying that, now I understand. So this is exactly what it is. The scriptural knowledge of the Vedas, it needs to be imbibed and digested into integrated vision, wisdom, into intuitive experience. The experience means how do you use this knowledge in the material world. And the material world is going to give you an experience based on whatever you have learnt or studied. If you have learnt a particular lesson, now let us say for example, today we are learning a lesson on the foolish Pandit. Now what happens is, you have listened to that, now you may go and read the chapter again, you may think about it for some time and you will say, oh what is this foolish Pandit? The foolish Pandits were not defeated by the Guru. Your mind can throw this thing, isn't it? What happens is, the moment we say that somebody is coming in front of the divine being, what happens? You will feel now some chamatkar will happen, some magic will happen, some miracle is going to happen. We expect these kind of things to happen. But what if nothing happens? 
So you mean to say that that particular sage or that particular person is, is, a, is a bad person or is not good enough? Are you using your yardstick like that? So at the end of it, you are drawing out certain conclusions. The conclusions are based on your own, you know, yardstick that you have generated for yourself. It is not based on the true knowledge. True knowledge comes out of real life experiences. The experiences are varied. They will happen to you in your world. Then only you will find that you will be able to apply the knowledge that you have got. Application of the knowledge is very very important. Application does, just doesn't happen like that. You have to keep on applying it sometimes. Now what happens is, there are other people like Ravana and Banasura. They also were great sages. Okay, They, are, they were the great people who had learned the Vedas you know, by hearted them. Or what happened is, they got the boons from the gods also. You will find that Ravan got the boon of Atmalinga. Okay? He carried it with him. Now think about it. Here there was this great person called Ravan, who was also a great devotee of Shiva. He went and he shook the mountains and he took the Atmalinga from Shiva. Now while he was going, conceit. Conceit is there. Ego is there. These two things were there with that person. And when you have conceit of the knowledge, whatever knowledge that you have, whatever knowledge that you have, let us say for example, even if you know how to make the best khichdi or the best of the things in the world, don't have conceit and don't have be egoistic in that. Because something is going to go wrong, you don't even know. Those who have ego and, and are highly conceited, their result will be ruins only. So that is the reason why it is mentioned that Vedic knowledge is not for earthly conquest and winning applause from the people. So don't learn anything so that you can get vava and shabashi from people, you know. You are going to get big, big uh, lord, you know, plaudits and your name will come in the public and all that. That is not the reason why you have to learn. It is why is the knowledge given? So that you can conquer the senses and the ego and to realize God. These are the reasons why the knowledge is there. And what is it that is required? You have to be loving and kind and compassionate to people around you. <coughs> That's what he was trying to tell these people. So we'll do chapter 26, Infinite Glory of the Vedas and their true purpose. This chapter describes in Narsimha Saraswati explaining to the two vain glorious pundits about the sanctity of Vedic lore and that Vedas are not meant for Vad and polemics. Vedas are really the mother, are verily the mother. They are to be treated with reverence and veneration. They are meant to illumine our intellect and to help us discover our true self and are not intended for bartering them for self-aggrandizement, whatever. They are not here for Jeevanapadi and Jeevan Paramvadi. They are meant for Bhakti and Mukti and not for Bhakti. Bhakti. Bhakti means enjoyment purpose. Okay. They are meant for nurturing and enchering, enriching the spirit and not for filing and pampering once being. So we start the chapter. Siddha Muni continued with the narrative. Sri Narasimha Saraswati told the pundits that it was wrong, presumptuous and childish on their part to believe that they had mastered all the Vedas and gained all knowledge. It is indeed beyond the ken and capacity of anybody, even of gods, to have full and a proper understanding of the Vedas. Uh, this is something which everybody has to know. 
if somebody says that i understand the vedas they are completely off the track because nobody can understand the vedas even if god almighty himself is coming and standing in front of you and saying you know i can understand i can tell you the vedas it's wrong because it is not possible for even the gods to tell you what the vedas are all about the vedas are indeed countless and endless ananta vai veda it is said even brahma dev could not gauge the extent of the vedas the vedas are the framework and nobody knows how big they are how vast they are how how much knowledge that they carry absolutely nobody has any idea even brahma ji who taught the vedas to his son he himself hardly knew about it it is by the grace of the divine that he was able to teach the lord himself has to incarnate on earth as badrayana that is vyas muni and he collated a small portion of them into four vedas so here we have vyas muni vyas muni is an avatar of vishnu he came on earth and he collated just four books of the vedas which is rig sam and yajurveda and atharva so these actually three vedas is what he wrote so you can understand the the enormity of this thing called the vedas can never be understood by anybody which we have heard of it is indeed a very tiny portion of the original vedic lore abstracted for the purpose of making a beginning and for paving the way of dharmic life this is nothing but dharma the lord has given this vedas based on how this universe is going to function these are the rules and the regulations and the laws and the framework on which the universe has to perform even badrayana into that is vya vyas muni in truth could not find the beginning and the end of the vedas and even as this four vedas the tiny portion from the original which is limitless cannot be studied and understood by anyone even if he is allotted eons of life so even if some person is given many many lives also he will still not be able to take even a small portion of the vedas vyas bhagwan taught each one of the vedas that is some little portion from each to one student each of whom was specially blessed with the full extent of the kalpa is in his life span one kalpa one particular portion that is four yugas together that was all you can imagine millions of years now after giving them millions of years one person was taught one veda and that to a very tiny portion of it thus spending a full kalpa of their study pahla muni learned a small portion which goes under the name of rigveda now pahla muni is the one who has learned this particular thing called rigveda in which again a very tiny portion of it is known to him same way <coughs> vaishampayana learned another small portion which goes under the name of yajurveda now yajurveda was done by another muni then jaimani learned another small portion which goes under the name of samveda and sumanta learned another small portion which goes under the name of atharva these at least they could learn only because of the special grace this they could learn only because of the special grace of their guru vyas bhagwan now because vyas muni had given them this knowledge so they could understand a little bit portion of it its the guru was vyasdev that being the case how ridiculous was it for any man 
whose lifespan was short to claim to boast that he had mastered the Vedas. In ancient time, Bharadwaj Rishi had resolved that he would learn and master all the Vedas. As he proceeded with the study, he found that although decades and centuries were rolling by, the progress he could make was too little. He undertook penance to propitiate Brahma and when Brahma appeared before him, he prayed, Grant me as much lifespan as it would suffice for completing the study of the Vedas. Now here we have another Muni who is a great sage for that matter. Bharadwaj Rishi. You know, we have this Bharadwaj Gotra also. So here Bharadwaj Rishi is telling Brahmaji, can you please grant me so much life so that I can learn at least one Veda. <laughs> okay. Brahmadev smiled as if in derision and said, My child, I can make you Chiranjivi. Chiranjivi means eternal. You don't have death at all. But alas, it is beyond my powers to help you make a complete study of the Vedas. See, there is infinite height of the Vedas. As he said this, Bharadwaj Rishi could see the splendorous mountain of the Vedas, their peaks hardly visible and penetrating into the highest skies. Their effulgence was that of millions of suns. Bharadwaj instantly realized his folly in hoping that he could master all the Vedas, which would never be possible even if he had been granted millions and millions and or aeons of lifespan. He was crestfallen and fell at the feet of Brahma and he could somehow bless him with the Vedic knowledge. Brahma gave him three handful of materials from the infinite mountain peak and told him three, just three handfuls and says, if you can study and understand this much, you will be very blessed indeed. Just three handfuls. Okay, itnai lelo, itnai kafi tumko. Okay. <laughs> Bharadwaj strove for all his life and could not complete even that much study of the three handfuls of the material that Brahmaji gave him. Gurunath again said, that being the case, how fallacious is it for a mere mortal of the Kali Yuga to claim that he has mastered all the Vedas. Alas, Gurunath now started speaking on the glory of the Vedas and their structure, which was unheard of before by anybody. Gurunath said that this is what they have been told by Vyas Bhagwan to each of the disciples regarding their respective Vedas, he taught them. Briefly, it is as under. Rig Ved has an auxiliary Ayurveda. The science of life. Its presiding deity is Brahma. Its Gotra is Atreyasa. Its Chanda is Gayatri. The Rig Ved Purusha has red lotus like broad eyes and three foot long shapely neck. He has beautiful flowing locks of hair, Rig Ved, in all the twelve sections or divisions. Its systematic recital with the correct innotations, innotations endows great merit. Much to the portion of the Rig Veda, he is not known to any in the Kali Yuga. So nobody knows Rig Veda in the Kali Yuga. If somebody says that they have learnt it by heart, I don't know what they have learnt. Yajur Veda has its auxiliary, the Dhanur Veda, that is the science of archery and weaponry. Its presiding deity is Rudra, its Gotra is Bharadwaj, its Chanda is Tristu. The Yajur Veda Purusha has bright lotus-like eyes with effulgent body and majestic structure, stature. Now today in today's day and age, where is archery and weaponry? The type of weapons that we are using, you find that they can shoot down a Malaysian aircraft. <laughs> you don't even know what you are doing with that weapon. Okay. Yajur Veda has its auxiliary, the Dhanur Veda. Okay, I have just done that. Okay. Now, Yajur Veda has 
86 Vedas, that is sections or divisions. 86. It is humanly impossible to explain every section of the Veda. Each section has many subsections, chapters, and branches, which are dealt with in great detail, but are not easily comprehensible. They have profound meanings and implications. They deal with sacrifices, archana vidhis, the detailed instructions governing the performance and the sacrifices, the mantra for the purpose, and the strict discipline of to be observed by the Brahmins, especially by the priests officiating at such sacrifices. The Vedas broadly consist of the mantras, brahmanas, samhitas, and aranyakas. So, just one Veda has got 86 different divisions. In that, there are sub chapters and this and that. So many things are there. One chapter also to do is going to become very painful. So, what is the point in trying to you know understand? This Veda has eight upangas. That is. Pratipada, Anupada, Chanda, Bhasha, Dharma, Mimamsa, Nyaya, and Tarka. It has also six angas, that is limbs, namely Shiksha, Kalpaka, Vyakarana, Nirukta, Chanda, and Jyotisha. Jyotisha is uh, you know horoscopes and all that we do, na astrology, palmistry, and all those. That is Jyotish Shastra, by the way. All right. Samved has Upavada, that is Gandharva Vidya Veda. It is presiding deities Vishnu. Is Chandas is Jagati. Is Gotra is Kashyapa. Samved has thousand sections. One thousand sections. The Samved Purush dons on the neck a beautiful flower garland and wears a white waist cloth. We should kidnap him. You know that. Then you is <laughs> one Veda with you. And tomorrow you may become Veda. Veda in Marathi means going mad. Okay. <laughs> Veda. Veda. Veda means mad. <laughs> you are go mad thinking about all those things. I, I don't understand. What is the point? All right. So he has all the virtues like sama and dama. That is total mastery over senses and mind. He has radiant eyes and the most fair complexion, golden splendid body, and is nine feet tall in height. Think about it. Why is everybody Caucasian? I don't understand. We need to have some <laughs> dark-skinned people like me, you know, over here. Maybe the next Veda that we will write it, we should have all those <laughs> the dark-skinned Vedas. Okay, <laughs> Atharva Veda is full of mantra shastra. The Upavad is Astra Vidya and Veda. Its presiding deity is Indra. Its Gotra is Vaijanasa. Its Chanda is Tristu. The Atharva Ved Purusha is fierce form. He is of dark complexion. Okay, come on. We have at least one dark complexion person. Good, good, good. He is not as austere as the other three Ved Purushas. Oh my God, that that destroys all our. <laughs> Atharva mantras can be used for malevolent purposes and thus misused. The Veda has chiefly nine Vedas and five Kalpas. Okay. <laughs> So all three Vedas are white in color, and this one is the only dark. This is the only malevolent person. The rest are all good fellows, and this is one bad chap. Atharva Ved. Okay, let us. Hmm, so sad. Sri Narasimha Saraswati told the pundits that the Vedas are most profound. They are the sole protections for mankind, both in this world here and world hereafter. They are to be worshipped as mother. Humility is the true mark of scholarship. 
He again emphasized that knowledge, if at all any, can gain and profess about the Vedas, will be just no more than a grain of white sand. The Vedic lore is like the unending stretch of the sandy shores of all the sea, uh, all the seas of the earth. The pandits in their pride could not grasp the wise counsel of Sri Narasimha Saraswati and still kept up their air of arrogance. Thus ends the 26th chapter of Sri Guru Charitra, giving a brief account of the four Vedas and their infinite glory. Glory to the all-merciful, the omnipresent and ever-responsive Guru Nath. So, so it is it's still going on strong. Three chapters strong, I think. What all these pandits, they are very strongly holding on to the... What? They don't want to give up. Okay, we'll do this chapter and we'll finish, okay? So we'll do chapter 27, Humbling the Pride of the Pandits. This chapter describes how the two vainglorious pandits were humbled and had brought upon themselves a curse which turned them into Brahma Rakshasa. Siddha Muni tells Namdarak how Sinarsimha Saraswati lovingly counseled the pandits to desist from discussion and arguing, that is doing vada, about the sacred truths of the Veda in public, for gaining personal aggression. <coughs> okay personal vavai, okay, and especially a sannyasi like Guru Nath himself was not the kind of a person who would enter into debate with any on the sacred lore. The duty was to contemplate on the Vedic and the Upanishadic truth in seclusion and solitude. See, what happens is we always want to tell the whole world how much we know. I know this, I know that, this is known to me, that is known to me. You will find that most of the great sages, na, they, when you look at them, they, you ask them a question, you know, they will say that, I don't know, I don't understand. Though, if you go in humility, they will definitely grant you that knowledge, not that they will not grant you. But they don't want to tell the world that they know about it. They'll just keep quiet at that point in time. So here, these people, these two pundits are going around the whole world, trying to tell them that uh, we know everything. The duty is to com- contemplate on the Vedic and the Upanishadic truth in seclusion and solitude. You are only supposed to think about it in a quiet place. He warned and told them that if they still persisted in their challenge and insisted on a debate, it was tantamount to coating their own ruin like a patan, that is a glove, hovering around the lamp and playing with fire to meet their self-destruction. As the pundits were still unheeding, Sri Narasimha Saraswati decided to humble their pride and punish them. Siddha Yogi then began to narrate how Guru Nath teaches the Pandita lesson. Sri Narasimha Saraswati beckoned to one of his disciples, asked him to go out in the street and call the man who was just passing by. The man brought in. The man was brought in. The man bowed to Guru Nath in all humility, showing great respect and veneration. Okay. He was, however, feeling perplexed as he belonged to a low caste and was at a loss to understand why he was called into an august presence of the Guru Nath. So here what does he do? Exactly what? Jnaneshwar has done. You remember there is a Jnaneshwar story? I will tell you once this is over. Sinarsimha Saraswati asked him what caste he belonged to. The man told him that he was a Matang, that is a Harijan. Sinarsimha Saraswati glanced at him with a look of grace and pouring out his nectarian love. There was enough for me to metamorphosize Instantly, the Matang completely. Sinarsimha Saraswati gave him the Danda, that is the yogic staff, to one of the disciples standing by. He asked him to draw seven lines, one after the other on the ground, in front of the Matang. After that, he asked the Matanga to step forward and cross the first line. When the Matang did so, 
Gurunath asked him to what caste he belonged. The man replied, he belonged to the Kirat Vamsha, that is the hunger caste, hunter caste, and his name was Vanrakha. He then asked him to cross another line after line. After the second line was crossed, he asked him again the same question as before. The man replied, he was Gangaputra, that is belonging to fisherman's community. After the third line, he said he belonged to the Shudra caste. After the fifth line, he said he belonged to Vaishya caste. After the sixth line, he said he belonged to the Kshatriya class. After crossing the seventh line, he said he belonged to the Brahmin caste and devoted to Vedic Adhyaya. Sri Narsimha Saraswati then gave the sacred ash after charging it with mantra to be besmeared all over the body of the Matam, who now turned into Brahmin. He then took the pandits that they came to do the vad for the stranger and seek the Vijayapatra from him if they can win him over in the contest. The pride was humbled witnessing the instantaneous transformation of the low caste Matang into a Brahmin of high Vedic learning. By the mere look of grace of from Gurunath and as the debate started, the Brahmin turned Matang was arguing and reciting Vedic mantras as Brahaspati or Brahmadev himself. The foolish pandit's tongue were parched. They were perspiring profusely and their limbs were shaking. <coughs> Sorry. They fell at Gurunath's feet and begged to be forgiven for their pride and arrogance in not heeding to his advice in their ignorance and foolishness. Sri Narsimha Saraswati said with compassion, I cannot help you much now. By your greedy desire to trade in Vedas, you have drawn the Ved Mata's curse upon yourself. For a period of 12 years, you will be turned into Brahma Rakshasa. But I bless you that you will be released from the curse as soon as you will happen to hear the recital of the Narayan Sukta from a pious Brahmin. And then you will turn into Brahmins again. He asked them to go to the Sangam and take their bath. The Pandits fell down dead the same day. Thus ends the 27th chapter of Sri Guru Charitra describing the humbling of the pride of the Pandits. Glory to the all-merciful, the omnipresent and the ever-responsive Guru Nath. As a similar type of a story was there during the time of Nyaneshwar. Nyaneshwar used to, now the four young children, they were going out and begging in the streets. They used to go to different, different houses and ask for some food. So all these pandits in that entire village, now they used to tease them because their parents, you know, parents of these two, these four people, that is Nyaneshwar and his brother and sister, they had left and gone to the Himalayas and had come back and then a lot of problems had happened. So they were being ill-treated. And uh, they said that these four children, what they can talk about the Vedas and the Shastras. So, what was it that uh, Nyaneshwar did? He said, this Vedas and all these, you know, the recitation can be done by anybody. So at that time, there was one black buffalo going from there close by. He says, even the buffalo can talk about Vedas if you want. And then he calls the buffalo and he says, now you recite one verse from the Vedas. And immediately the buffalo recites one verse. <laughs> Isn't it a similar type of a story where you will find that this particular person from a lower caste is able to recite and say the verses and give a precise explanation for their, for the Vedas. The Vedas and the Shastras should not be bi-hearted or anything like that. We are just supposed to follow the path of Dharma. Dharma is the most important thing. Dharmic path. That means we have to follow the path of righteousness. We have to be righteous in this world. There are no other options for us. To follow the path of the righteousness is extremely important. 
and be kind be gentle be loving be tolerant towards everybody we don't have to show that we know too many things we don't have to show that we have we are very proud and mighty and uh, you know the mighty have a fall always you know that and that is the reason why we should always avoid these kind of things so we shall end over here if you have any questions you can ask me or otherwise we can now the next uh, satsang will be on thursday next okay